when the body has something out of balance or going wrong with it, one of the first things it's going to kind of cut back on is fertility. And that's because if the body's out of balance, it's going to kind of look at itself and say, oh, maybe right now is not the right time to get pregnant. And so um, fertility will suffer. So if you're paying close attention to your cycles and you do see that some things are a little bit out of whack, that can be one of those first signals that lets you know, okay, I need to look maybe at my nutrients, my stress level, stuff like that. What is going on here that is causing my body to be careful and try to not get me pregnant at this time? Welcome to the Happy Homebirth Podcast, your source for positive natural childbirth stories and your community of support, education, and encouragement in all things homebirth and motherhood. Well, hey there, happy homebirthers, and welcome to episode 93 of the Happy Homebirth Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Fusco, and I am excited to switch things up today. So this podcast episode is going to be all about fertility awareness and why understanding our menstrual cycle can be hugely empowering. We'll be discussing this with my good friend, Sophia Zafaris, who is a fertility awareness method educator. So basically the perfect person to get the lowdown on what this all means. Some exciting news. Check out the Happy Homebirth podcast on Instagram this week as Sophia and I will be holding a giveaway together. You do not want to miss it. We've got some literature and a useful tool. All right, let's waste no time and jump into this crazy informative interview. Please remember that the opinions of my guest may not necessarily reflect my own and vice versa, and neither one of us are medical providers, so continue to see your doctor, midwife, or if you're like me, your chiropractor. And I'm just kidding about being ready to jump into the interview because I forgot to share with you guys, I am working on a new project, and that is the Home Birth Network. So if you are a care provider and you would like to be added to a list of care providers like midwives, doulas, birth professionals in the United States is where I'm focusing on now, you can go to myhappyhomebirth.com forward slash provider and you can fill out your information to have it included in this resource. And those of you who are listening who absolutely adore your care provider, please go to myhappyhomebirth.com forward slash my midwife. And you can do this for your doula, other birth professionals as well. But the it's myhappyhomebirth.com forward slash my midwife. And you will be taken to a form where you can fill out your information about who your midwife is, who your care provider is. And I will let you know, I will not be sharing their information until I am able to get in contact with them and explicitly get their permission. But I've had so many people reach out and ask me, hey, do you know of a midwife in this area? Do you know of a doula in this area? And there's not a good way to find them. So guess what? We're going to make it. So please go to myhappyhomebirth.com forward slash provider if you're a provider and forward slash my midwife if you are a mother who loves your care provider. So just wanted to jump in and share that with you. Alrighty, let's actually get to the interview now. Sophia, thank you so much for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Thanks for having me, Caitlin. I am so excited because I love having other care providers or other workers in the birthing world and fertility world uh, come on the show, you know, and to really hear what it is that 
you work on in your side of things. So you are an FAM educator. What is that? So FAM stands for Fertility Awareness Method. And very simply put, um, fertility awareness based methods are um, methods of tracking and observing your biomarkers of fertility and then determining from those according to set systems uh, whether you are fertile or infertile on any given day of your cycle because we are not fertile 100% of the time. And with this information, you can then avoid pregnancy, achieve pregnancy, or just kind of track your health so that you can keep on top of how your hormones are doing. Oh, that's, that's so beautifully put. So it's not just a one thing, you know, I think of, you know, there's birth control, but this is really awareness. This is knowing, oh, do I want to get pregnant right now? Am I trying to avoid pregnancy at this time? And really being able to kind of hone in on what's going on with your body. So that's, that's amazing. And it's so empowering. And how did you come into becoming an FAM educator? Um, I don't know exactly when it started, but I've always had an interest in more alternative approaches to things. Um, and I know when I was about 18, I think I was at a friend's house who was recently married, and I saw a book on her shelf called Taking Charge of Your Fertility. Um, for some reason, I just kept that bookmark in the back of my mind. And a couple years later, I ordered that book off of Amazon, and I started reading through it. And that's how a lot of women uh, are introduced into the fertility awareness world. Um, that book has its limitations, but it's a really great kind of gateway drug <laughs> into fertility awareness. But from there, I just became more and more interested in it, really started geeking out about hormones and the fertility cycle. So I read many more books from there, started digging into some studies. And after a little while, I really wanted to start studying it formally. So I started with one program that was a two-year program. Um, after a year, I decided that one wasn't a fit for me. Um, we had some ideological differences. So I decided to switch to this program called FEM, which stands for Fertility Education and Medical Management. And basically on the educator side of things, I te teach women to chart their cycles. And if they need further help, then I can refer them to the medical management part of the um, association. So that's kind of the program that I'm finishing my certification through. Oh, that's amazing. I love how <laughs> I love how you say it was a gateway drug. I actually read <laughs> Taking Charge of Your Fertility as well. That was one of my midwives books, you know, in her lending library. And it really seemed to resonate with a lot of our clients. But I agree, it definitely has its limitations. And the idea of being able to work with an educator and being able to ask questions like I as I read that book, I was like, wow, this is so interesting. But I really want to know this. And I you know, who was I going to ask? <laughs> of course. And a lot of women find confusion reading that book because it lists kind of like the ideal cycle. Um, and a lot of women don't fit into that, that kind of pattern, especially now when we have so many endocrine disruptors in our environment, a lot of people are dealing with hormonal imbalances. So having someone you can turn to for help and be like, Hey, I'm seeing this. How do I chart this on my, on my charts can be really helpful to kind of give that extra boost of confidence. I think. Oh, that's a really great point. I also just, whenever I think of that book, this is probably TMI, but it's so funny. <laughs> There's just this one illustration that always <laughs> comes to my mind of the woman learning to check her cervix. And it's like, just yep. this like little drawn illustration. <laughs> and it makes me laugh every time I think about it. So if you guys haven't read that book, this is an Easter egg. Go find it and try to find Absolutely. that illustration. <laughs> 
body literacy 101. <laughs> She's got like such a good like thinking man face. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I can see exactly what you're mentioning. <laughs> oh so, goodness. okay. Now, as we talk about the FAM method, what are the benefits of this compared to other forms of birth control? Why, why can't a woman or why wouldn't a woman just pop a pill every day? So obviously taking hormonal birth control, whether it be a pill um, that has routine bleedings or a pill that completely causes menstrual suppression, so there's no bleeding, um, or having an IUD or a shot or implant, any of those types of hormonal birth control, it's important to know from the start that even though they're administered in different ways, they have basically the same forms of synthetic hormones. And these synthetic form hormones, unfortunately, do not interact with our bodies in the same way that our natural hormones do. So there's synthetic estrogen and synthetic progesterone in those instead of our natural forms of estrogen um, and our natural progesterone. And basically, they're administered at pretty steady levels. Um, and the natural fertility cycle actually has little waves. If you're looking at it, you see sometimes certain hormones are higher at certain points of the cycle and others are higher at different points of the cycle. And women's bodies are naturally supposed to go through these kind of rhythms and our mental capacity, our, our creativity, our focus, all of that kind of ebbs and flows along with our cycle. So um, I think first off, one beautiful thing to compare between the two is that on a hormonal birth control, you're trying to create a steady state. Whereas with fertility awareness, you're just tuning in and observing and you're allowing the body to do what it's meant to do. And what it's meant to do is not a steady state. <laughs> so it's kind of going with the rhythm of your body instead of trying to, I don't know, I kind of usually word it like the feminine rhythm versus trying to enforce a masculine stability on that. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's a beautiful way to put that. And I guess um, something else that's important to think about on a less like romantic note, I guess, <laughs> is that hormonal birth control can and often does have a lot of just unwanted side effects. Some people even go so far um, in the fertility awareness field to say they're not even side effects, they're just effects. Because these hormones, uh, synthetic hormones, this is just what happens when they interact with the body. So first off, most of these prevent ovulation. Um, ovulation is when the egg is released. Um, only one ovulation happens per cycle. And without ovulation, certain hormones cannot be manufactured in the body. So if you're on a hormonal birth control that is preventing ovulation for a long period of time, you're going to notice things like depleted nutrients. Your body has a um, lowered ability to absorb nutrients and to use, even if you're eating good food, it just doesn't have the ability to use it as well. Um, it also affects attraction and mate selection. There's some interesting literature on this in past year, recent years um, of people actually choosing someone that they wouldn't normally be attracted to. And then they come off of hormonal birth control and it's a weird, very unpleasant awakening. Wow. You um, know what? I'm, I'm just like throwing this in there, but you know, there have been sure. studies about that in relation to deodorant use too. I'm not surprised. I mean, yeah. I guess pheromones there. Exactly. It's blocking it. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. um, it does affect our brain's ability to be creative. So a lot of um, women and sometimes artists who 
have been on hormonal birth control come off and they feel like they have this like newfound creativity that they'd lost as though their personality had been kind of dulled down for a little while. That sounds kind of far-fetched, but it isn't when you realize that hormones are involved in every little process of our bodies and our cycles are an integral part of our endocrine system. So when you shut the cycle down, you're affecting the whole endocrine system and it actually has an impact on like 52 body systems. Um, So coming to see the the ovulation cycle um, as a vital part of the woman is helpful because you realize, oh, this isn't just like a body with this extra little added thing. This little thing is a part of of the whole. Um, And when you start to realize that, then you can kind of appreciate more why fertility awareness might be helpful because you just are allowing that process to continue without um, causing hormonal disruption in that way. Something else that, yeah, for sure. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that. I love how you said that. And it relates to, there's a title of a book and I, the name of the author is slipping my mind, but she was interviewed on um, the wine and guide podcast, but her book title is the fifth vital sign. And it just, you know, it's all about fertility and it talks about how like that is your hormones and your, your cycle for a woman. That is such a vital sign. Like that really indicates so much relating to all of the rest of your health. Absolutely. I actually have that book right next to me here. It's by Dixon <laughs> Jack. And she actually has her own podcast, which is also awesome, called Fertility Friday, all about fertility cycles. Um, but the reason it's considered that, and there are actually some studies out there that are uh, called like why the cycle is the fifth vital sign for a woman or something like that. And the reason being is that when the body has something out of balance or going wrong with it, one of the first things it's going to kind of cut back on is fertility. And that's because Mm -hmm. if the body's out of balance, it's going to kind of look at itself and say, ah, maybe right now is not the right time to get pregnant. And so um, fertility will suffer. So if you're paying close attention to your cycles and you do see that some things are a little bit out of whack, that can be one of those first signals that lets you know, okay, I need to look maybe at my nutrients, my stress level, stuff like that. What is going on here that is causing my body to be careful and try to not get me pregnant at this time? So yeah, viewing it as the fifth vital sign is really beautiful. Um, A couple other things that hormonal birth control does affect because the cycle is not happening is it actually can cause depletion of uh, your bone density over time. That's because the hormone progesterone that comes from ovulation uh, actually helps to strengthen bones that were built during the first half of the cycle. Um, So it can cause um, athletes who are on hormonal birth control often are more prone to injury because their bones are a little bit weaker. Um, At the same time, uh, a lot of people experience more depression and anxiety on it. And so you might be put on hormonal birth control and then start having these symptoms. And then a little bit later, a doctor might prescribe antidepressants. Um, And it's kind of stacking medication on when in reality, the body wants to just flow on its own, on its Mm -hmm. own. (laughs) Pun intended. For sure. And also adolescent girls are often put on hormonal birth control from a very young age to quote unquote, regulate their cycles. Um, And this has side effects uh, or risks to it, such as increasing suicidal ideations. And that's something that I'm really passionate about um, is trying to hopefully reach girls at an earlier age or reach their mothers so that their mothers can maybe have a little bit more question in their mind before they put their girls on hormonal birth control because 
despite what we often hear, it doesn't actually regulate the cycle. It shuts down the cycle. And so you may be having a bleed, but it's not a menstrual bleed. It's what's called a withdrawal bleed. And it's just withdrawing from the medication at periodic intervals. Oh gosh. Yep. And that's, it's so scary. You know, when we do consider how it's so common in pediatrics, even, you know, to like, as soon as a child gets her period, if it's not regular, if it's, if she's got these signs and symptoms that are maybe pointing to some other type of imbalance, it's really just kind of covering it up and not acknowledging the underlying problem. So then the underlying problem is really just growing, right? It's really, it can be quite a band-aid in that regard. And a lot of people also don't know that it takes a few years for a girl's cycle to fully mature. So there are a few cycles where she's working up to ovulating and then it can still take a few years to um, get to where it needs to go. So if she is put on hormonal birth control, her cycles are stopped and she's never allowed the opportunity to mature. So when she comes off of them, later on in life, perhaps she wants to get pregnant or she just wants to be off of the medication, um, her cycle's never fully matured. And in during that time as well, it will have aged her cervix, <laughs> unfortunately, mm-hmm. um, which increases her chances of contracting sexually, sexually contracted um, uh, infections. And wow. also while you're on them, it shrinks your ovaries by about 50%. So 50%. I, wish more, I wish more people knew this. When they were doing early studies on it, it was actually shrinking the analogous male body part, and that was seen as intolerable, but for some reason, so those men were taking out of the studies, but women didn't. But it's fine for us. Yeah. No, not (laughs) fine. (laughs) Oh, my word. Wow. That is is overwhelming information, and... I just think back to, I I don't even know how it is now. You know, I don't know what, what's going on, if it's the same, but even in middle school, I just remember so many of my friends being on birth control and, and thinking, well, that's kind of like, I wasn't, I thought that was kind of weird, but it was just so common. But I will say as an adult, I was on uh, birth control as a young adult for it was just a few months and I didn't realize it at the time. It was only looking back later. And I realized, Holy cow, I blew up like a balloon. Like (laughs) I gained so much weight. It was insane. What is, what's with that? um, So a lot of women do experience that some early on, I think some of the advertisements for hormonal birth control, which is a little bit sexist, were advertising that um, it would increase your breast size. They were trying to like come up with all these ways to make it more attractive, but in the, at the same time, it also increased general size. So right, it'll increase your cheek size. I remember that's, my yeah. face was like so swollen. And an interesting thing is actually throughout the cycle, when you're naturally cycling, um, the face can kind of get a little bit different look, and the voice actually changes throughout the cycle. So um, close to ovulation, often the face has a rounder more, more quote unquote feminine look. Um, the voice might be a little bit smoother, slightly higher pitched. Um, I know for my part, my husband always notices that my eyes are just a little bit brighter and clearer around ovulation, Mm. but I'll um, have you all know that I actually ovulated yesterday. So hopefully uh, I still have a little bit of ovulatory glow to my voice. (laughs) And that's a really good time to be doing a podcast actually, because we communicate more effectively when our estrogen is high and right around ovulation, we get a testosterone spike, which also helps with productivity. So very interesting. Yeah. You planned this perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You also mentioned, um, I guess, so that was, that's more of the 
I don't know, negative aspect of hormonal birth control, but you also asked about positively, why would you want to use fertility awareness? Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the simple reason is that it allows your body to be as it is meant to be. Um, you're not forcing it to conform to anything, but you can still achieve your reproductive goals. So people do want and need to avoid pregnancy at certain times of their lives. Um, and people who are trying to conceive can actually find that it helps them because instead of being told that we always ovulate on day 14, which is a myth, um, that is based just upon an average. Not all women do that. Um, instead, the woman can look at her actual body and her actual um, symptoms of her cycle and she can know, okay, I'm approaching ovulation, I'm fertile right now, and she can optimize her um, intercourse for conception. So yeah, it can be used in that way. And when you are on hormonal birth control, often you would want to do a detox before trying to conceive because um, a mother being on hormonal birth control can actually impact the health of her uh, children, her children's hormonal health later on in life. So wow. allowing a good time to detox and to rebuild all the nutrient depletions. Um, the woman that you mentioned who wrote the fifth vital sign, she actually recommends up to two years of detoxing um, wow. before trying to conceive. On the flip side, with fertility awareness, uh, you could be one cycle trying to avoid, say, okay, I want to try for pregnancy now. And next cycle, you can switch because you're not needing to do anything to your body. You're just changing your actions. That's amazing. For sure. That's such a benefit. Yeah. I think a lot of people really appreciate that because it it goes with you throughout your reproductive, along the reproductive continuum, and it can serve you at all stages. So from a girl who's just started her periods and her mom wants her to learn this so that she can keep track of her health. Maybe the girl has painful periods or PMS or acne. Um, You can see the hormonal roots of that by looking at the cycle and hopefully do different things by supplementation or exercise, um, all different things that can be done or seeking out help from a natural practitioner like a naturopath. Um, And you can try to bring balance back into the body. So hopefully the girl can natural natural cycle cycle naturally and um, help to improve those symptoms so that it's not a painful experience because menstruation is not meant to be painful. And that's our body telling us like that it needs help. And so Mm -hmm. by charting, you can definitely start to see where that help is needed. And then when she wants to avoid and wants to conceive, it just, yeah, it just goes through you with everything. I love it for that. I think that's so amazing. And I also, like I said earlier, I mentioned, I feel like there's such an empowerment in knowing what your body is doing and being able to navigate your decisions based off of that. You know, that's, that's huge. Mm -hmm. And in relation to that, you alluded to this at the beginning, you know, a lot of times, and I I feel like sex education is such an interesting topic because (laughs) it's really not discussed that, you know, there are actually these, you know, five-ish days of your of your cycle that you could become pregnant. It's like, you know, just like either don't do it or use protection or whatever. Yep. So I'm sure that there are some adult women listening who have no idea and are like, what are you talking about? So could we talk about that fertility window for a minute? For sure. And yeah, if you don't know uh, the basics of the cycle, just know that you're not alone. Um, I have so many women reaching out to me and we need to start at square one just to make sure that the basics are covered. So you're not alone in that. Don't worry. Um, So basically broken down, the cycle has a fertile phase. And then on either side of that are 
infertile phases. So menstruation um, generally is infertile unless someone has very short cycles. So there are exceptions, but that can be determined. Um, a few days after menstruation, a woman enters her fertile window. This is uh, caused by the follicles in her ovaries that house the eggs are beginning to mature and they're releasing estrogen. Estrogen in turn is causing something called cervical mucus. It's a discharge that all of us have and have probably seen um, when we're going to the bathroom. And that's a biomarker and a sign that estrogen is increasing and therefore uh, ovulation is approaching. Sperm can only live in cervical fluid for up to six days. And this is partly because the cervical fluid provides uh, sustenance in order to keep it around long enough uh, for an egg to um, be ovulated so that uh, fertilization can occur. But um, also cervical fluid alkalinizes the vagina. And in the other parts of the cycle, the vagina is actually acidic, so it is a sperm killer. So everything just kind of coincides perfectly at this time of the cycle so that there's just this little window of time when you can become pregnant. So that's also helpful to think of. Um, I have a post on my Instagram that says something like, you only need uh, birth control when you're actually fertile. So mm -hmm. you don't need to be preventing uh, if you're actually infertile. So the right. fertility awareness lets you know when you are. So you can either avoid pregnancy and some people do like to practice abstinence during that time. Other people do something called bafting, which just means uh, bury your usage during fertile times. <laughs> <laughs> bafting. Yeah. It's I'm not sure the most not beautiful word. to be funny, but it's pretty, it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird word. Oh my but, um, goodness. Yeah. So yeah, just basically you're not fertile all the time. And so this helps you to figure out exactly when you are. Mm -hmm. And okay. So we are, we just talked about the hormones. We've got estrogen and then that causes, uh, the follicles. Then what's, what's coming on at the end of the cycle? What happens after you ovulate? Yeah. So there are actually kind of four hormones. Two of them are from the brain and two from the ovaries. So, um, in the beginning of the cycle, follicle stimulating hormone, its name explains what it does. It stimulates the follicles to mature, um, is released. And as those follicles are maturing, estrogen is released in increasing quantities. When estrogen reaches its kind of peak levels, um, that triggers back to the brain to release a third hormone, LH or luteinizing hormone. LH causes the matured, uh, those follicles, the most mature one, the dominant one to rupture and the egg is released from the ovary and swept up into the fallopian tubes. And we all know how it goes from there. Um, but after ovulation, LH, luteinizing hormone, does a second thing. The empty follicle that the egg came from is transformed with the, by that hormone into something called the corpus luteum. And that is actually a temporary endocrine gland, which releases our fourth hormone, which is progesterone. And progesterone, um, well, if estrogen is kind of a stimulating hormone, it causes growth and proliferation. It causes the intermetrial lining to build up. Then in the second part of the cycle, progesterone causes things to be stable and calm. And so women often uh, have lower levels of energy at that time because it's usually when you want to kind of turn inwards and try to restore, whereas the first part of the cycle is more outward energy. Um, so progesterone is super important, and that is the hormone that we absolutely cannot have in our bodies unless we're ovulating. So if you are preventing ovulation, uh, with synthetic hormones, your body won't have progesterone. And that's the one that makes sure that we're really 
uh, optimizing our nutrient absorption and keeping our bones strong and also repairing um, our brain during sleep. So progesterone is one of my favorite hormones for sure. (laughs) It's a winner. Yep. It does good stuff. Yeah, that is fascinating. And it's really crazy just man, our bodies are just unbelievable. But the idea that the follicle that the egg comes out of turns into a, like a makeshift endocrine gland, like what yeah. on earth? That's crazy. <laughs> and it has like a limited lifespan. So the longest that it can exist is 18 days. There's only one rare situation where that doesn't happen and it's super rare. So the maximum time that it can stick around in the ovary is 18 days and gradually it just disintegrates. And then as it's disintegrated, the hormones drop and menstruation starts over again with the next cycle. But um, when people are tracking their cycles, one interesting thing is that, uh, well, we'll get in probably to the two symptoms that most people track, but basically if you are counting the number of days after ovulation and it goes past 18, you're probably pregnant. So, <laughs> that's the one thing that I like super took from the taking charge of your fertility book. Yeah, it's pretty cool. You can start to guess it without uh, taking a pregnancy test. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, that's amazing. Well, so you just alluded to what the symptoms are. Um, and I would love to talk about that. Before we do talk about that, I would love to know, how is this different from the rhythm method? <laughs> Good question. Um, So a lot of people and even doctors, when they hear women say, oh, I'm using a fertility awareness method to prevent pregnancy, they're like, oh, people only use that if they're like willing to get pregnant or like, you know what you call people who use that method, parents. Um, (laughs) A lot of people have heard stuff like this, but that's because those people are confusing the rhythm method and fertility awareness methods. So rhythm method is an early form of cycle tracking Um, and it had its place. Um, It was just as the science was developing, uh, but we've gone way beyond that now. So uh, the rhythm method basically takes averages um, of women's cycles, kind of like the 28-day cycle where you ovulate on day 14. And based upon those averages, it guesses when women are fertile and infertile. So the obvious problem with that is that women are not machines. Women cannot be perfectly interpreted by algorithms the body can do surprising things from day to day. So when you're relying upon an algorithm or some type of calendar calculation um, to guess when the woman is going to be infertile or fertile, then there's going to be a lot of room for error. Um, On the other hand, fertility awareness does not make any predictions. So instead of having that uh, risk of incorrect predictions, instead the woman just learns to look every single day at her biomarkers or symptoms of her cycle. And she's learned through the rules of her particular method to interpret those symptoms. And those symptoms will tell her, am I fertile today or am I infertile today? And so, yeah. Sorry, I just wanted to ask. So those moms who are maybe thinking that they're using some type of FAM method, but are like using an app on their phone, if they're not typing in their specific symptoms, they're not really using FAM. Is that what you're saying? That's more of the rhythm method? Absolutely. Yeah. So there are Mm -hmm. a lot of apps out there that are free in the app store and they're just fancy versions of the rhythm method because you're putting in when you have your period and it's guessing based upon that. It's trying to predict the future for you. Um, So yeah, that's an important thing. I wouldn't rely on devices or on apps to predict fertility. 
Great. Okay. That's great to know. And so now we're talking about that compared to FAM and these, these symptoms that we're charting. Yep. So there are a few different types of fertility awareness. Um, the two main biomarkers or symptoms that uh, exist to track fertility are cervical mucus or cervical fluid, which is just a hydrogel that is produced by the cervix, which is at the top or end of the vagina and is the neck or opening into the uterus. Um, and there's little, these scripts in there. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> it sounds pretty cool and high tech. It does. <laughs> Um, so cervical mucus is the number one symptom for tracking fertility. And that's because of the simple reason I said before that when cervical mucus produce is pre being produced, that's because estrogen is rising and estrogen only rises when eggs are being matured. So as soon as those eggs are maturing, estrogen is released. That causes the cervix to make fluid and you see that fluid and you can say, oh, my fertile window opened. You're going to put that in your paper chart or in your app chart, which is different from the apps that just predict. Right. Um, and you'll see every day. And then you'll eventually you'll go back to an observation of dryness when you don't have cervical fluid. And based upon the rules of your method, you'll be able to confirm that ovulation happened. But the second uh, symptom that we use uh, to cross check with that is basal body temperature. So a lot of people I think have heard about this because doctors who do um, fertility treatment often bring up for uh, BBT, as we call it. Um, but this is basically taking your temperature first thing every morning before you get up and uh, you track that every day. So when you have the estrogen part of your cycle, the estrogen dominant part, which is before ovulation, temperature is lower. After ovulation, when progesterone is being produced, this makes the body core temperature rise a certain number um, or certain part of a degree. And so you'll see by looking at your chart over time that before ovulation temperatures are low, after ovulation temperatures are high. So by combining cervical mucus and temperature observations, you can do a kind of uh, cross check and you can actually pinpoint with pretty uh, close accuracy the time when uh, ovulation happens. Outside yeah, of that, some women do add in like hormone tests, like luteinizing hormone or progesterone mm -hmm. tests. Those are just little extra things on top, but the main thing to look at is cervical mucus and temperature. And what do you think about like feeling the cerv cervix for like softness or anything like that? Are those, are those methods that you use as well? So yeah, the symptothermal method. So sympto refers to the cervical mucus and thermal to the temperature. Um, some symptothermal methods of fertility awareness also include checking the cervix. And that is because, um, as ovulation approaches, the cervix becomes softer and more open. Um, and when you are infertile, the cervix becomes much form firmer. Um, so kind of the comparison, softer like your lips or firmer like the tip of your nose. And uh, when you're infertile, the opening or os of the cervix closes back. So for some women, I usually actually don't recommend that in my teaching because um, mm. you can introduce infection into the body unless you just like wash your hands and stuff, like don't right. just do it randomly. But um, <laughs> a lot of women uh, will always find something in there because there's something called vaginal cell sloth, which is part of how the vagina self cleans. It's um, like bacteria and skin, shell, skin cells that are being shed. And so if you do do internal inspections, you will always find some of that. Some people who are unsure can confuse that with um, cervical mucus, but gotcha. for women who have... Uh, what we call scant mucus. 
So very small um, amounts that they can see externally. That would be usually when I would bring in that third symptom and say, well, let's add this in just to make sure we're cross-checking with one more symptom to give you more um, confidence. Very cool. That's, it's so interesting to hear how, if we just know how to, <laughs> this sounds so cheesy as I'm saying it, <laughs> if we just know how to listen to our body, it will tell us so what's true. going on. <laughs> so true. Now, and, yeah, go ahead. Now I was just going to say, that's the really beautiful thing about being able to teach women. This is just because you're, you're teaching them to do something on their own. You're teaching them to learn a life skill, to listen to their bodies. And then once they know that they are off on their own, they can take care of themselves. <laughs> that's so fantastic. Once again, I'm going to say it, it's very empowering for sure. Now, one thing that I do want to discuss, and I know that you are a postpartum mother, just as I am. Yep. And I do want to talk about using these methods during breastfeeding. How does breastfeeding kind of, how does, how do we get around this? Because I know basal body temperature can also often be difficult because we're up at the night, especially those, those of us who are co-sleeping or even just getting up and getting our baby and feeding them. It really can throw that off. So how do we do this? Yeah. So for postpartum charting, that's, the in a special uh, circumstance where someone definitely wants to work with uh, an educator for that part, just because gotcha. it it is a little bit more complicated for women um, to just begin to establish their norms during that time. Basically, the hormones are fluctuating a lot during that time. The postpartum period before the return of fertility is basically one long preovulatory phase. So mm -hmm. someone might have patches of cervical fluid because there's a little bit of estrogenic activity, then they might dry up again, another little patch, dry up another little patch. So learning how to um, interpret that. And basically with an uh, instructor, this woman is going to establish something called her BIP, her basic infertile pattern. Yeah, so after she establishes her basic infertile pattern, um, basically then she can uh, not always be using protection or anything um, like that all the time. Um, but the important thing to know just is that ovulation happens before menstruation. So fertility will return before a woman's first period and the potential to get pregnant. Um, so if a woman is breastfeeding exclusively at the breast, no pacifier, stuff like that, she can actually uh, look up, uh, there's information on the internet for this, something called the lactational amenorrhea method. So instead of FAM, it's LAM. And um, basically it just says if you're breastfeeding this much, at least every four hours during the day or every six hours at night, um, stuff like that, then she can uh, use that, use breastfeeding alone to prevent up to a certain number of months. But you also mentioned temperature. So if a woman uh, does want to start bringing temperature back into her charting routine postpartum, but is having irregular sleep, there is also um, a device which can help with that. And this is not a device that has an algorithm or predicts fertility. It's just a thing that you wear around your arm um, all throughout the night and it takes your temperature and then it averages that out. And in the morning, it'll, it'll give you a temperature. So even if your sleep's irregular um, or you get little sleep, this can kind of be a helpful thing to help women still chart even with um, that. And it also works for shift workers. So that device is called the temp drop and um, you've probably heard of it online. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's <laughs> very popular cool. right now. That's awesome. And that's, that actually leads me into my last question, which was uh, for for the FAM method and just your general uh, perspective of things, are there any necessary tools or are there any tools that you highly recommend? Yeah. I mean, for the most basic 
part of charting, someone can start for probably under $20, um, not including like education, but just the actual materials. And that would just be um, maybe a, a charting journal. Those exist online. There's some really beautiful ones. Um, a charting journal and a thermometer and a roll of tissue paper because you need to be <laughs> able to track your cervical fluid. It doesn't need to be more high tech than that. Some women do decide instead of paper charting to uh, choose a digital app. And one that I have recommended for a long time is Kindara because you can turn off predictions in it. However, there is another app coming out, which I'm pretty sure I'm going to switch to in my recommendations. Um, I was one of the people that helped with the uh, like crowdfunding campaign. Um, a lot of people contributed to that. And that is called the Read Your Body app. When that comes out, that's just going to be a life changer for anyone who uses fertility awareness methods because it's fully customizable. It's just a digital form of a paper app. But yeah, in terms of thermometer, you can honestly get an $8 or a $10 one at Target. There's um, also the iProven uh, thermometer BBT. Make sure it's BBT, obviously, because it goes to two decimal places on Amazon. And then also the temp drop. Things that I wouldn't recommend or not to like disbrands or anything like that are the Ava bracelet and Daisy because those types of things um, start to bring in more rhythm method uh, predictions. So temp drop or a basic thermometer are basically the only tools you need beside pen and paper or an app. Wow. That is incredible. And Sophia, if people are listening to this and their minds are being blown, which I just, I can't help but feel like there are a lot of minds being blown right now. If they want to learn more information from you, where can they find you? I know you're super active on Instagram at sage.fertility, but do you have a website as well? You can get to my website, which is www.sophiazafaris.com. Awesome. Sophia, I can't thank you enough for coming on. This was such an illuminating conversation. And I know that it's very possible that this is going to just change the, the cycles of so many women. So thank you for doing what you do. And thank you for coming on the Happy Home Birth Podcast. Of course. I hope that, yeah, a lot of women received some good information today. Thank you so much. Isn't that incredible? The more I've come to understand about my cycle, the more in awe I am of just how amazing the female body is. In fact, as I alluded to in the interview, I've actually started planning certain aspects of my life around it. Like for example, my recent launch, I made sure that it was in my ovulatory phase, which just sounds so crazy, but I felt like it really helped. If you're interested in learning more about that, Kate Northrup is the queen of the topic, and you can check out her book, Do Less. Anywho, as we wrap up, I just want to encourage you to really consider this topic and recognize the fact that fertility signs are a vital insight into our overall health, the fifth vital sign, if you will. So set aside some time, grab a cup of tea, and read a bit about it. Sophia's Instagram is a great jumping off point, and that's at sage.fertility one more time. All right, my friends, do not forget that you can help support the show. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune in if you're enjoying this information. Tell your friends and family members and care providers about it, and take a screenshot of you listening into this episode and share it on your Instagram stories tagging Happy Home Birth Podcast. Let me know your favorite takeaway of episode 93, and I will definitely share it on my stories as well. That's all I've got for you for now. I will see you back here next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. 
Are you looking to extend the home birth support, encouragement, and education? Join us in our Facebook group, Happy Home Birth Podcast Community, and check us out on Instagram at Happy Home Birth Podcast.